Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we'll be beginning in chapter 1 in just a moment. We conclude our sermon series from this book of 1 Peter. It's been an Advent sermon series, Advent meaning the coming or the arrival of the Christ child. And today we come to the Sunday of love. Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story about her nephew. Nephew Will is his very first birthday party. He's turning one. Little boy was the center of everyone's attention, so he did a little dance of excitement. He was so happy, his birthday party, until a jealous seven-year-old named Jason charged over and put his hands on Will's chest and shoved and shoved hard, and Will fell back. First his rear head and and then his head, it was a cracking sound. It was a hard shove. Well, Will looked utterly and totally surprised at first. No one had ever hurt him before. He didn't know what to make of it. He opened his mouth and he just howled and screamed and cried, but, but not for long. His mother hugged him and helped him to his feet. And the first thing Will did was to totter over there to Jason. He knew Jason was at the bottom of this thing. But since meanness was totally new to Will, he didn't know what to do. So he did what he had always done. He put his arms around Jason and laid his head on Jason's body. What Will did to Jason ended the meanness at that birthday party. That's what love is. It's not a warm feeling between two like-minded friends, but a plain old imitation of the Christ who took all the meanness of the world and ran it through the filter of his own body, repaying evil with good and blame with pardon and death with life. Call it divine reverse psychology. It worked once and it works again and again whenever God can find someone else willing to give it a try. The reality is, eventually, Every relationship you have will require forgiveness. Eventually, every relationship that you have will require forgiveness. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope. Peter is writing to the believers in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. The members of that church are actually facing fierce persecution from the Roman Emperor Nero, who's using the Christians as a scapegoat. And Peter's told them that as they share in the sufferings of Christ, to keep on rejoicing, that even as they share in his sufferings, they will also share in his glory. Keep on rejoicing. Well, today we look at what Peter has to say on the topic of love. Turn back to chapter 1 and verse 8. The first thing we learn from the Apostle Peter, love is the mark of an authentic follower of Christ. Love is the mark of an authentic follower of Christ. In chapter 1, 
Peter has reminded his readers that they have inherited a wonderful eternal life. That they have been born again, verse 3, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Their salvation is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and reserved for them in heaven. Keep on rejoicing, he says, verse 6, despite the fact that you have various trials at the end, their, their faithfulness, even in the midst of hardships, by the testing of fire, verse 7, they will give praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says in verse 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Before Peter begins talking about love in the church and love amongst the brothers, he begins by speaking about our love for God. Here we discover that love for Christ is the hallmark of a Christian. Peter describes them as having not seen the Christ. Those listening to the reading, it would have been read out loud in a gathering of the church. They had not physically seen the historic Christ. There's a contrast here between the listeners of the letter and Peter himself. Peter has spent three years side by side with Jesus, fishing with Jesus. He'd done everything, always called amongst the, the favorite for three of our, our Lord. So compared to Peter, who was with Christ so much, they had never even seen the historic Christ. But he says, don't worry about that. You have believed the testimony of those who've seen the crucified and the resurrected Christ. Notice what he says. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. They had entered into a personal relationship with Jesus through the spirit of the Christ. It reminds us of John 20, 29, when Thomas had demanded that he would not believe until he could feel the scars of our crucified Lord. And Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet they still believe. Yes, Peter sounds like John here. Likewise, through Paul's epistles, we learned the same thing. Their love for the Lord Jesus Christ is a mark of a true Christian. At the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Or in Ephesians 6, he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. So first of all, when it comes to love in Peter's first letter, love is a hallmark of those who are true followers of Christ. Loving the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning of our faith and our followership of Jesus. There's a second thing we see. Turn over to verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1. Love is never the enemy of truth. Love is never the enemy of truth. Look at verse 21. Jesus has appeared for you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls 
for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Sometimes in contemporary Christian conflicts, we falsely construct an apparent conflict between loving people and teaching the truth, as if to preach the truth of God's word is in some way opposite of love. Not so, says the Prince of the Apostles, since you have an obedience to the truth. You have purified your souls for sincere love of the brothers. Fervently love one another from the heart. Love is never the enemy of truth. Love is never the enemy of truth. We don't have to choose between loving people or telling the truth. We are to preach the truth, speak the truth in love. How many times on a contemporary talk show or the musings in social media does someone say, yeah, yeah, but isn't the only important thing really to love each other? Yes, it is important that we love each other, but, it, but love is never the enemy of truth. Caring love is never in conflict with the commandments of the Christ. Think about John who writes, if you love me, John 14, 15, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love and commandment keeping are not enemies, but rather they are partners of God's plan. All love is based upon the gospel foundation that Jesus died for our sake and that God three days later raised him from the dead. The ultimate demonstration of God's love and the source of our love for each other. The Apostle Peter is saying this, seeing that you have purified your souls in the obedience to the truth, may there be a genuine love for your brothers. Love each other from the heart. Notice he calls it love of the brothers. It's really the word from where we get the city Philadelphia, the city of brother love. The word is Philadelphia. It's a, it was used in Greek culture for love amongst biological siblings. Biological brothers love each other as if you're biological brothers, he's saying. Now he's not saying love them as though they were your brothers. He says love them because they're your brothers. This word, Philadelphia, is not used in the New Testament for natural siblings. Rather, that word used in the Greek culture for natural siblings is transformed in the relationship in the church. Love each other as if you are natural siblings. When 73-year-old Alvin Strait of Blue River, Wisconsin, learned that his 80-year-old brother John who lived 240 miles away in Lawrence, Iowa, had suffered a stroke. He knew he had to go visit his brother. But Alvin couldn't see well enough to get a driver's license. And so he bought a 1966 John Deere lawnmower, got a 10-foot trailer. He loaded gasoline on there and clothes and food and camping equipment, and he took off. On a really good day, he averaged five miles per hour and would drive for 10 days. When Alvin got within 90 miles of his sick brother's house, his, his tractor broke down again. And he was out of money. 
He had to camp for a few days to wait for his social security check to clear. He was on the road for 42 days. The lawnmower broke down again when a farmer stopped and helped him push it. The last two miles, 42 days riding on a riding lawnmower to see your brother who's sick. Now that's brotherly love, wouldn't you say? Love each other like that. Like the guy who'd ride a lawnmower for over a month just to travel 240 miles to see his brother. The affectionate relationship of believers, brothers of faith, was the noblest jewel and the early crown of Christianity. It is a sure sign of a new birth. John the Apostle says in his first letter, chapter 3, Now we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Here's a sign we've left the realm of death and entered the realm of life because we love the brothers and love abides in us. Well, there's another use of love in this first letter of Peter. And this one's tough. Are you ready? Love is not optional. Love is not optional. We have a terse series of commands. Turn over to chapter 2 and verse 17. Chapter 2 and verse 7. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. These imperatives, choppy imperatives that happen when the apostles write sometime. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Here's what you need to do. Chop, chop, chop. But right there beside fear God is love the brotherhood. Now, interestingly enough, the word church is never used in these letters written by the Apostle Peter. Instead, he uses the term brotherly love to represent church. So instead of calling us a church, he tells us to love each other like brothers. So our, our definition of church is those who love like brothers. That is the definition of church in this first letter. Love the brothers. You cannot limit your love in church to those who attract or those who are responsive to your love. We cannot narrow our love in church to the scope of the few. It is to love all of our brothers and all of our sisters in Christ. A really close pastor friend of mine had a leader in his church when he first went to the church who frankly did not care for the new pastor. And wherever this church member traveled, he left a trail of discouraging words about the pastor. This covert campaign against his spiritual leader went on for years. The pastor never entered into a public debate with the deacon, but he simply held his tongue. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, the member of his flock was diagnosed with cancer. At first, the pastor admitted to me in a private conversation, I I rushed to the bedside of the brother who belittled me out of a sense of duty at best and a sense of spite at worst. I went saying, this is my duty. I went saying, I'll show you. I knew I was supposed to love him, he told me. Yet in my heart, I had some negative, very negative feelings for that man. 
But through the next few years, as a pastor faithfully walked hand in hand with this once censorious man, by the end he was walking with the man heart to heart. You see, my friend said, by the command of Christ, I had to love this man. He said, I couldn't feel my way into action. I had to act my way into feeling. I couldn't feel my way into action. I had to act my way into feeling. And by acting as if I loved him, I eventually developed a true concern and a true care. Before the man passed away, my friend had moved to serve another congregation. But when it came funeral time, they called him to come do the funeral because of the love that he shared with the deacon who was deceased. Love is not optional. It is a command. Honor all men. Love your brothers. Fear God. Love your brothers. Here's a fourth thing we see in 1 Peter about love. That is number four. Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 8. Love is the very essence of the church. Love is the very essence of the church. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. Now, there's our word for love. This time it's Philadelphia. It's the adjectival form of the noun we saw in chapter 1. To sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly in love, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. It's a sign that we have passed from death to life that we are loving the brothers. It is the badge of true Christian discipleship. Calvin himself said, where God is known as Father, there and only their brotherly love truly exists. Mutual love is a hallmark of Christianity, and loving is the very essence of the church. Hazel Mosley was once a staff member here and forever a volunteer. And she was very involved in our international ministry. And just like right now, we have a lot of immigrants fleeing terrible conditions in their home country. They were coming to Amarillo, and Amarillo has been so welcoming of folks from other cultures. After the funeral, I received a letter from Dumla Matsuravong, a Laotian girl who made the following observation after the funeral. My family came to the United States in 1979. We didn't know English or anything. Hazel was always there for us. She didn't know our language. We didn't know hers. But she was always there. She brought us to church and taught us the language. At the same time, she taught us about Jesus. Whatever we needed, she was always there. She is an amazing lady. I don't know anyone who could ever take her place. I actually dreamt of her before I heard the news that she'd passed away. And I was thinking about her around Thanksgiving. And then after Christmas, we heard about her. And I just felt an emptiness when we heard the news. And I just regret, Pastor, that I didn't know about her earlier so I could attend her funeral. I just want you to know that nothing could stop Hazel. Not language, not culture. 
She was there for you. She wanted to be there, and she cared, and she showed it. It was just the love in her eyes and love in her actions. It comes across. You don't need the language. We could understand Hazel because Hazel loved and cared. Love is the essence of what it means to be the body of Christ. A little girl arriving to this country from turmoil and political upheaval, finding a lady named Hazel with whom she couldn't even share a conversation, but she could share the love of Christ. There's a final time in 1 Peter when we speak about love. From here, we get the title for, of our sermon. Look at 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. Love embodies God's grace. Number five, and lastly, love embodies God's grace. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. The end of all things, speaking of the coming of the Lord, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, there's our sermon title, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. He's looking and anticipating the future. And he tells them, be clear-minded, be self-controlled so that you can pray for the purpose of prayer and then we come to our text this morning, above everything else, above all, this is prime importance. This is your ultimate duty. Our love should be fervent. It's a language, this fervent is a language of being stretched out, using a muscle to full capacity. It's the language for a horse that is in a full gallop. Above all, love fervently because love covers a multitude of sin. Now that doesn't mean that love tries to hide or hush sin so God won't hear about them. Christian love hides sins not from God's sight but from man's sight. 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way, love does not delight in evil. Or, or Psalm 32, how blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Love refuses to, to deliberately expose sin and encounters to the gaze of all. It prefers to refrain from and discourage the needless talk about sin in the community. It throws a veil. It covers up those sins of a brother. One writer says, only when Christians become mean and ugly do they favor the devil by dragging each other's failings out in the public and smiting each other in the face. Christian love forgives a multitude of sins. Wherever there is love, it covers sin by gladly forgiving it. Where there is anger, you will find a defiant person who won't reconcile and remains full of hatred. But on the other hand, the person full of love doesn't become angry no matter how much someone tries to offend him. He covers all these sins and pretends not to see them. Though we can overlook his neighbor's sins, he cannot make God overlook it. No one can cover his sin before God. Only faith can do that. But with our love... We can cover our neighbor's sin. And just as God covers our sins with his own love, if we believe, so we should cover our neighbor's sin. Peter says we should love one another so that one person can cover the sin of another. 
And love just doesn't cover just one sin or two sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. When you love someone, you see the best in her. When you love someone, you see the very best in him. Keep your love maxed out, a muscle in full use, like the horse in a full gallop. Be fervent, for fervent love will forgive and cover multitudes of sin. Bernadine Healy was delivering the commitments address at Vassar College, and she says, As a physician who is deeply privileged to share the most profound moments of people's lives, including their final moments, let me tell you the secret of life. People do not face death, talking about the degrees that they've earned. They do not face death, talking about the positions which they've held in the community or the workplace. People do not face death talking about all the wealth that they have accumulated. At the end, all that really matters is who you have loved and who has loved you. In the end, all that matters is who you have loved and who has loved you. Above all else, writes Peter, knowing that Christ's coming is near, above all else, have a fervent love in the church. Because when you love like that, it covers a multitude of sins. Who have you loved? And who has loved you? On the deathbed, that'll be the only question that matters. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for what this Prince of Apostles has to say about our love for each other, our love for you, our love for church. May everything we do in all of our missions and ministries be bathed in this fervent love, loving men and women into your kingdom by the care and love of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.